0: Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at ageing societies. Is longevity something to be celebrated or feared? Darren Dodd talks to Carol Jagger, Professor of the Epidemiology of Ageing at Newcastle University, and Andrew Scott, co-author of The 100-Year Life, about what society and individuals can do to prepare for a healthy, longer life.
1: Carol, you've been studying this issue for many years now, but your recent paper in the Lancet caused a bit of a stir. Tell us about some of the findings in that.
0: Yes, yeah, so we've developed a model to forecast the dependency needs of future older population in England. And I guess what I'm trying to get over with that research is that this issue is not going to go away unless we start to do something. And so we found that there will be a 36% increase in the numbers requiring 24-hour care. We call those high dependent. And in fact, the differences were quite different for men and women in that the extra years of life over the next 20 years for men would generally be a compression of dependency, so they would be living more years independent. But for women, they would be living more years with low-level dependency. And both genders would see an increase in the years lived with high dependency.
1: And that study was particularly looking at England, but how does that compare with other countries?
0: There have been simulation models developed in other countries, but generally they haven't had the same comprehensiveness as ours in terms of the number of diseases that contribute to disability or dependency or the health behaviours. But there's a model for Japan which actually does include quite a lot of diseases, though it doesn't interestingly include education, and education's quite an important factor because our education levels have changed quite considerably in the older population. They're more educated than they were 20 years ago, and that will continue for some time.
1: You talk about Japan, which has got a lot of press coverage for the way it's treating these demographic changes, so perhaps a good time to bring Andrew in Andrew, your book caused a bit of a stir in Japan, so much so they actually set up a commission to deal with the problem based on your book.
2: Yeah, they set up a commission for a 100-year life. You know, Japan is ahead of most countries in terms of how it's going through this demographic transition. And so it's got a lot more people who are very old in life. So that is causing a very real policy issue now. I mean, you're seeing around the world a growing awareness of the social care problems that are with us today and as carol's work shows that's only going to get bigger as a problem as we see more and more people live to old age and the stunning thing about japan is just how many people do live to old age their life expectancy is still significantly greater than the uk and there's really two things that are at work here and which makes japan quite unusual the first is the fall in the birth rate which of course means that older cohorts are larger And then secondly, the survival rates in Japan, which mean a lot more people are getting through to those old ages. So Japan has a very unusual population structure. It's got a very high average age because of those changes, and it's got a very high what's called old age dependency rate. The UK is a little different, actually. Um, The UK hasn't had the fall in the birth rate so much. And although it's had improvements in life expectancy, they're not as dramatic as Japan. So Japan, I don't think, is an example for us to look at in the UK in terms of how severe the problem is going to be but it's certainly a place to look at in terms of how they're responding to the problem.
1: Yeah, as you say, it has particular problems, but are there policy lessons, policy approaches we can take from Japan to apply elsewhere?
2: There are, absolutely. And, you know, as Carol says, we've really got to start doing something, and the earlier we do it, the better. I mean, I think there's a number of issues here. One is focusing on end of life and the very old and the dependency issues that Carol's been talking about. And obviously you need to start thinking about who's going to provide that care, How do you change your working practices to support those who are in work, that they can care for relatives? How do you deal with it within the community where there may not be very young people? And what is the role of the state and what is the role of state provision? All of those are very real issues. I have to say, I think the tendency in this debate is to focus straight on that. I think Kara's work is looking at the next few decades. The other thing is how do we make the current young or the current middle-aged age more healthily. And I think there's always a tendency in looking at longer lives to focus on end of life rather than think about all of life and how we help people prepare so that the next generation age even better than the current
1: generation. Talking of next generations, I mean preparation is obviously key to this and education, but in terms of the science, there are some interesting developments coming on. Carol, you you touch on a few of these developments in your paper. Tell us a little bit about what kind of science is coming down the line.
0: Our model was developed for a project that looks at the costs and consequences of interventions for dementia. And so it is able to examine what effect different interventions might have on dependency numbers and years lived with dependency. And one of those is cognitive stimulation therapy. And we're in the process now of just looking at the trials and trying to put the results of the trials into our model to see what effect they might have.
1: And one thing about these scientific developments, is that something that will be the richer West rather than the rest of the world? I know, Andrew, health inequality is a very important issue in your book.
2: Yes, and you know, as Kawa's work shows, the key thing about ageing is diversity. People age very differently, and you can be remarkably fit and healthy at 100, or you can be unwell and in a wheelchair at 50. So that's one of the challenges of ageing diversity, and of course some of that diversity is very clearly linked to income, education, and social status. So one of the things to tackle is to make sure that we have less health inequality. That's easier said than done. And then I think the other thing is to improve not just the social gradient in terms of healthy life expectancy, but also make sure that more and more people benefit from healthy aging. I mean, in general, I think two things are happening in the demographic transition we're seeing. One is that there's more older people, and the second is how our aging is changing. And that first one is sort of aging, there's just more old people. But there's also a lot of signs that actually people are aging better, and Cara's work shows some really interesting results. While it shows, because there's a lot more old people, a big increase in the number of people who will be dependent, in people aged 65 to 74, you see a fall in the number of people who are dependent and a big increase in the number of people who are independent. Aged 75 to 84 in Carra's work, there's an increase in all categories because there's more old people, but the biggest increase in category is those who are independent. It's really the 85 plus where you see the challenges coming through. So, you know, if we can get more people to get in that, independent rather than dependent category that's a really important policy margin.
1: I mean this idea that perhaps we dwell too much on the negative here but I think we can look in it as a gift not a curse the kind of longer life. Carol. I think you've a lot of positive features in your work which perhaps been overlooked a little by the kind of shock headline findings.
0: Yeah and you know we have to keep older people in these lower levels of dependency or independent longer so that they spend less time in the medium and high dependency categories there's been a lot of trials of the you know physical activity resistance training strength balance that showed that you can actually do something about that even in quite late old age and i i'm um, utterly convinced that that is what the difference between men and women is because of. It's because women start with lower levels of strength and therefore they hit these thresholds for being able to do the activities of daily living that we measure disability by quicker than men do. And so it's a matter of trying to keep women above that threshold so that they can be independent longer.
1: And do you think we should be much more optimistic going forward about this? This is a
2: really complicated topic. We're talking about all of life and everyone. And clearly, there's a great deal of diversity. There is a tendency to think immediately this is about end of life and about frailty. And that is a very real challenge with more and more people getting to the end of life in older ages. But there's also lots of positives in some ways. The average statistic shows that on average, we're living longer and we're healthier for longer. That can't just be a bad news story. There must be some good news in that. Then if you look at the UK population, the average age of the UK population has never been older, but the average mortality rate has never been lower. They've never had so long to live. And to call that an aging society seems a little bit incorrect there's a mixture of things so you know there's challenges and opportunities we have to worry about dependencies and alzheimer's we have to minimize the number of people who suffer from that but also there is a longevity dividend we're having more people who are healthier for longer averages can be very misleading but in essence this should be a good news story
1: so away from the big picture just back to the individual if you had to give say three pieces of advice for helping to prepare for a longer life what would you say
0: up the public health england messages of keeping normal weight being physically active but also doing strength and balance exercises being socially active and being cognitively stimulated you know go ballroom dancing which is really great exercise but also keeps you literally on your toes <laughs> brain wise too so i would say there are lots of messages that we know That maybe we don't take on board
2: all of them. I think that's excellent. And I think, you know, the other thing is that often people look about investing for the future in terms of money, but you've got to kind of invest in your own future as well and the things that carol talked about are a way of investing in your future strength as much as your future finances but being engaged and not following the footsteps perhaps of a previous generation given there are new opportunities and better health you don't have to follow in the same social norms so being active and doing different things is crucial
0: that was darren dodd talking to carol jagger and andrew scott Remember you can sign up for our weekly health briefing at ft.com slash fthealth.